we can start an athletic journey with something like, you know what, I'm pissed off. So I'm going to take up this sport. I'm sick and tired of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I bet a lot of your listeners can relate to that. It doesn't start with the purity of intent, right? Hairs, just freaking get going, get moving, get moving, get moving it, but then refine it over time. Because when you get to that place where you love what you're doing and you can find flow more often, find me an elite athlete on earth that doesn't want to be in flow more than they are. They're Mm -hmm. like, it's just too much for me. My performance can't handle any more flow. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, go to solpre.com to check out the anti-chafe balm today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today much like me. Um, so we're going to have a lot of good conversation and love between us today, I'm sure, is a serial entrepreneur. Um, unlike me, though, he's a swimmer with multiple national championships in USA Master Swimming to his name. Um, he's an author and speaker focusing on sports psychology and performance optimization. Welcome to the show, Brian Bergford. Thank you, Jesse. I appreciate it, my friends. I'm pumped to be with you, dude. We're going to have a good time. It's going to be great. Uh, you know, I... I've had kind of a nice day today in that both my guests, uh, we could talk a little bit about kind of the mental side of sports and, and different issues coming up with you. We're going to talk about probably a little bit different things. I talked to my previous guest, but it's something that I, I think about probably more than the average athlete, uh, maybe not as much as you do, but it seems like a component that we just we just like to ignore. You know, we focus on the like, how many reps can I do? Or, you know, like how fast can I do a hundred in the pool or or whatever that benchmark for your sport is like, that's the discipline. You know, I'm going to focus on the physicality. How do I, you know, do yoga or massage my legs out to recover faster? How do I affect the physicality of me? But then we like just ignore that there's this large organ. that's essentially the engine running everything. And we just try to hope, hope it's fine. Hope, hope for the best. Um, am I on point? Is that seem to be the kind of common, uh, trend with people you talk with or, or am I off, off, off the mark? You're definitely not off the mark. I think that the further along people get in competition and the more they're approaching their potential, or they're really pushing the envelope, they more, the more they start to appreciate and realize it and give it the credit that it deserves. Uh, but yeah, by and large, it amazes me that it is largely ignored or just downplayed the role of its importance. I'm like, were you really going to go train for six or 12 months or even longer? And then at the last moment, you're going to like choke (laughs) because you didn't home your mind and get it dialed into where it needs to be and have the infrastructure in place so that psychologically everything is aligned and it's going to propel your performance forward. Like that, that piece is, is crucial because it's, it's, it really is the make or break. Most athletes 
train, right? Like they get out there and they do their thing and they put in the reps, yada, yada, yada. That's not so much the problem. <laughs> it's, it's the mental discipline. It's understanding the components of that and that, you know, we're connected on all areas of our lives and our psychology and all these different facets affect one another. And we can't, we can, well, let me put it this way. We can compartmentalize, but things get leaky eventually. And it really, really, really needs to be attended to. It's like, if you have a house built and you're like, oh, it's fine. You know, we only have mold in like one or two of the rooms, but that's going to get into the ventilation. It's going to get all over the place and it's going to become a problem sooner or later. You might get away with it for a while. And some people do. Unfortunately, that's generally when a lot of people look for help is in a reactive state because mm -hmm. they had their rear end handed to them. I always appreciate it when people get out on the front end of things and they're proactive in their approach and seeking out coaching and insight and making sure that they're giving it due attention. I have to look this up. I was hoping you can keep talking. I'm, so you reminded me of talking about being proactive and getting ahead of it. Like it, it's so easy. And I don't, you know, I've had a number of injuries over the years and I'm dealing like a, like a little Achilles thing that we're taking care of. Um, at the moment, it's so easy to like get hurt, whether it's psychologically or physically, and then, okay, now we'll deal with it because it hurts or something went wrong instead of dealing with it beforehand and being preventive. I'm trying to look up this episode number. It, it reminded me of when I was talking with a uh, podiatrist, Mark Gallagher, it's episode 125. Um, so, you know, on the day-to-day, -day, he deals with rehab for athletes, right? Mm -hmm. And we were talking about how the hardest sell for him is like a maintenance program. Once you've, you know, dealt with the issue, physical in his case, actually maintaining it so that it doesn't happen again. I would imagine the, the you know, the, the mental component is probably similar, right? Or being preventive, it's it's like maintenance, right? It's doing things before anything's ever wrong. Before right? you have a breakdown on the side of the road. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and the, the guy I use for body work is absolutely phenomenal. He's, he's a magician. I've been uh, going to him for years. But that's something that just like clockwork, right? I go in and it's always preventative maintenance. And because of that, I very, 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 very seldom, maybe once every two years at most, am going in because of some kind of an actual injury mm -hmm. or something that approaches an injury because it's keeping up on that stuff. And it's just a different mentality. It's a different way of looking at it. It's not, it's not wrong to wait until something goes wrong. It's just the recovery process is going to be a lot longer mm -hmm. and you have those huge peaks and, and valleys and it's, and it's really exhausting. It's the same thing with the mental training. <clears throat> when you were talking about being proactive and that type of thing, it reminded me a lot of, you know, there's more focus now on just at large in society, mental health. I'm like, I'm like the proactive end of that. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like we have a lot of focus on, hey, when the crap's really hitting the fan and you need to go see a therapist because you're about to have like a psychotic break, you know, maybe the time to 
<laughs> get a little bit of help is proactively, right? And what I do, like, I'm not, I'm not a, a therapist in like that sense, certainly, um, but I'm a coach on the front end. I understand psychological principles and what it takes to build a robust psychology so that you can go out and be aligned with your goals and your dreams and all those types of things and making sure that then you have a system in place that you can maintain the proper state of mind and stay in the right headspace so that you can be on top of your game and you don't wait until something breaks down. And it's just, it's a lot of ups and downs. Some people with the psychological training, it's very similar to yo-yo dieting and other people are right on, right on top of it. They stay in a, they stay really, really close to where they need to be basically all the time. I mean, it's interesting because for me, um, just my body and body composition wise, everything like that, I stay within like two pounds max of where I'm going to be on competition day, like two pounds outside of my, like where I'm supposed to be at competition or like outside of body fat percentage. I might get like one percentage out of that max because it's just so hard to up and down, up and down, up and down. And, and some people, maybe they just enjoy the drama of it. <laughs> I don't. And I love working with clients that are out ahead of it because you look at the compounding effect of having a maintenance program and a maintenance program also that's on the cutting edge and you're really looking to dial things even tighter and tighter and tighter. It's that compound interest over time. It makes such a huge difference. So it's not just, it's not just a difference in approach. It's a difference in ultimate long-term outcome and sustainability for an athlete. You know, I, I kind of wonder about whether it's so I, I like it so this is my own personal views on psychology uh like you uh I, I guess I don't know if you double majored I double majored one of my undergrad majors was in psychology because I'm interested in people uh but I I tend to think of like when we think about clinical disorders um I like the description that they are like an exacerbation or an overblown scenario of tendencies that we all have. So it's like something that we all do, but then it's gotten, it's taken over control. It's becoming way larger in terms of processing power than needs to be. And that is hence the dysfunction. So given that train of thought in regards to the maintenance thing, I, you know, I wonder like, if it's thinking about athletes, whether it's simply a subset of the same mentality where like, you know, people will go through their lives and not work out, you know, not do anything, have health problems later, and then be like, oh, you know, now I got to take all this medicine to deal with this problem. I kind of wonder if, if it's the same thing, but then just funneled down in a, into a little bit more microcosm because the athlete is physically doing something, but then kind of in the same sense, ignoring that mental component until something goes wrong. Yeah. And it's, and it's same thing in our bodies, right? If we ignore or we get a muscles system, a set of muscles overdeveloped or out of balance, it just runs right up that kinetic chain. And you can ignore that until something catastrophic happens. Right. And so that, I think that's really what it is, 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 the more, the more truly important it is to your soul <laughs> to really go after and fulfill the things that are in your heart to do, 
I think that eventually leads people to, again, back to this proactive place, because if you ignore it long enough, I mean, and all of us have been in really dark places uh, psychologically at one time or another, whether it was from an acute trauma or just some chronic stress, whatever the case may be, a lot of things just happening at once to us. We've all experienced, um, we've all experienced an element of that for sure. And I think it's just being able to recognize that and have a shorter refractory period and being able to kick yourself back up to where you need to be, but not through denial, but having the tools in place so that you can, again, proactively maintain where you're at and process information in a constructive way and to build the mental muscles and have the understanding of how to run that machine. You know, we look at our different sports and we become experts in it and we know all the rules and we know all the this and that ins and outs of all this stuff. And when it comes to our to our head, and this goes back to where we started with, right? We can we can let that go. And the problem is just like with our bodies, you can end up in a place where then you have a health crisis because eventually the tipping point happens and then you're in big freaking trouble. It can happen to us uh, upstairs as well, for sure. So um, yeah, it's not a fun thing to experience. And I think that no matter where anybody is at right now today, wherever they're listening to this, whenever they're listening to this, move things forward on that front, right? Take your mental training seriously. Take it to the next level because it's going to impact everything else. It's going to impact everything else. And um, <clears throat> granted, <clears throat> excuse me, granted, there are some situations where um, people, in order to really go to the next level, there's going to need to be some rebuilding, like a go golfer breaking down their, their stroke because for whatever reason, they're like, hey, I'm really great, but this isn't going to be sustainable or I'm not going to be able to take it to the next level. So sometimes you have to take a couple steps back. That's not usually the case, frankly, but sometimes that needs to happen. And I think it takes a lot of courage to be willing to go into a training regimen with that, whether it's mental training, physical training, what have you, take a couple steps back so that when you move forward again, it's more of a catapulting effect. So I actually want to step back a little bit and that I think both of us are on a pretty similar page in regards to the importance of this, but I want to play devil's advocate a little bit um, mm -hmm. for maybe the person listening that's like, all right, I, I'll see what this is about, but you know, like I kind of, you know, I, I don't know that this is real or effective. You know, it's really kind of a, a soft science or what, you know, whatever argument that comes up. Um, this is where the other part of my undergrad background comes from, which is math. So I, I like, you know, formulas and methodologies and that kind of thing. So, you know, against the, the soft side, like, is there, is there, is there a methodology? Is there a, you know, actual concrete practice or is it just like, well, oh, let's get on a call with Brian and he'll, he'll kind of fill things out and, and, you know, do do whatever squidgy brain work we need you know is there is there a process involved that is this you know replicatable um so the is there a process involved there's definitely a process involved i think very much like with schools of thought in um ther therapy right and helping people in that regard there's a ton of different different disciplines and they all have 
an enormous amount of like literature and different things behind them and where they're effective and where they're not so effective. And so you've got a really broad spectrum of uh, schools of thought and methodologies that all have their place. And I tend to just be one of those people where I have just from a philosophical standpoint, been very agnostic with regard to methodology, because at the end of the day, nobody gives two craps about my philosophy about mental training. What, what it really comes down to is what they need as an individual and pulling from all these different schools of thoughts to be able to develop a plan that actually makes sense for them because we all have different uh, natural aptitudes and we have different ways of processing information in the brain and we have just everything right from from the most basic levels are we more kinesthetic learners, right? Are we more like auditory um, to way more advanced things? And so there's a lot of elements. And I think anybody that's listening to this knows the psyche is fairly complex, right? We, we think I'm, I live with me every day. I should kind of know what my deal is. <laughs> and then we have something happen in our life and it pops up and it's like, I don't like what the hell is going on right now? I shouldn't be puzzled. I live with me more than I live with anybody else. And so there's a complexity to it. And I guess what I'm getting at is I think that there's validity across a lot of different methodologies. And so I don't subscribe to any particular one because when I'm hopping on the phone with somebody, I'm just trying to figure out where are you at? What do you want? Why do you want it? Why is that important? What's beneath it? And then how are we going to intelligently build something out that, first of all, it's going to be compelling to you? Because what's, what's compelling to me as an individual doesn't, like the person on the other end of that doesn't really care. Mm-hmm. They have their own set of things that they're going for. And so it's just like, what do you need? Where are we going? Why is it important? And then <clears throat> looking at two things for me that are really big. One is the, because um, this is what I really work on building from the outset. We kind of strip things down. We understand we have clarity around where the person's at. And then it's psychological architecture, right? Like I'm architecting and helping work with the person to build that out based on where we're trying to go, not based on what's most beautiful, whatever. It's like, what are you doing? And then we go into laying the psychological infrastructure, which is really over time, a process of conditioning that and building that system out and making it um, more fine tuned. So there needs to be some flexibility in everything that I do with folks because stuff changes over time. And then, you know, two months from now, that person's not going to be in the same place and we're going to need to adapt. So I want a very adaptable, um, very, uh, yeah, just adaptable, easy to change, flows with what's going on, but has a base and a core of a system that hits on all cylinders for them. Like, what are they most motivated by? Like, what are they moving toward? What are they trying to avoid? Um, What is their larger why? What are their motivations versus their motives as an example? So I'm throwing a lot out here, but this comes back to some of the methodology I was talking about. Um, One example is there's a lot of things that I guess I can use myself as the example that motivate me when I'm going to practice every day, when I'm putting in the repetition, et cetera. There's things that motivate me that are very surface level at times and very shallow and kind of selfish and stupid. And I feel silly even saying them out loud, but sometimes it's just like, 
beating the person next to you and being like, what? Right. Mm -hmm. But it's funny because I actually love people. I love the people that I train with because they make me better. Mm -hmm. And so even though I might use that momentarily as a motivation, that doesn't have a very long shelf life. Right. Because I don't personally really care about beating other people in the moment. It might motivate me. Sure. I'll use that temporarily, but long-term my motive is what's most important. What's the bigger, grander picture? Because we as athletes, if we're going out and doing something, if if we're really going to put our, you know, the pedal to the metal, there has to be something that's compelling, that's long-term, that can keep us in the game to where it can be a lifestyle that we can keep going and have that perpetual motion. And it's not put gas in the tank and then it just burns off, Hmm. put in the tank and it burns off. It's just, we have a clean burning energy and it's just always there. And we might have little dips here or there, but over the long haul, our motives our bigger whys are so freaking strong and important and central to who we are as individual, our identity, that we couldn't get off the train if we freaking wanted to. Um, so that's a that's a quick little example. I don't know if I hit on anything you actually wanted me to touch on, but um, that's what came to mind, dude. Yeah, no, you're cool. Um, so you're describing what like I often talk about or semi-often talk about, if you, if you, the listener, have been around it for any amount of time at all, you've probably heard me talk about this. I refer to it as a bag of lies. Um, like, you, because I'll say pop culture references, like, you need a, like, a grand why, just the one thing that's going to propel you forward each and every day. And, and, and maybe it's simply personal experience um, that, that jades me, but I don't think no matter how grand that one singular why is that it's enough. It's not. And as you're describing it now, I'm like, I'm like, I almost feel like I need to change my analogy to like a pyramid of whys where like, you know, your base layer is, is those big overarching, like these are the foundations of what it is. It's, it's almost like a weird Maslow's hierarchy of needs or like, you know, that it's like, it's like, it's, it's turned on its head though, right? Like yeah. the base is through like self-actualization. And then the higher up you go, the smaller ones yep. that aren't very sustaining, that's like like feeding the ego. I want to be, yep. you know, this person. It's 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 the, yep. just flip Maslow's hierarchy of needs on its head basically. And then you've got, you know, the kind of the principles of, of the whys you need to build. Um, and that's- I guess, although, you know, you know, um, shelter and food are at the, the base of his pyramid. And if you needed that and were a professional athlete, that's probably a pretty good why. So it doesn't quite work, could, but it, it could be. It's, it's sort of like in a Cinderella Man, you know, where yes. uh, he, he gets asked, you know, um, you know, what's different that time? He goes, now this time I know what I'm fighting for. And what's mm-hmm. that, Jimmy? Milk, right? Like when the yeah. stomach hits the backbone, you're right. And, and so it's, um, it's interesting though, because for a lot of us, I think that bigger base of the big why, a lot of times that's something more on a, like a deeply, almost at times spiritual level. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff up top is like little piddly, stupid stuff. Like the way you put it was very interesting with the ego. And um, one of my personal fascinations <laughs> is like dipping in it, like having a foot in different worlds, right? Mm -hmm. I'm endlessly fascinated by spirituality and that 
aspect of things, but it's it's an interesting subject when we come to athletics because it seems so flitty and intangible. At the same time, though, like that that's where we as human beings that's where the real, real power source comes from. That's where the sustainability, if we really look at the deepest level, um, that that's kind of our roots. And then there can be a bunch of stuff on top of it. And I think one of the big pieces, um, at least for me and the, you know, the people that I work with, to maintain the right type of perspective and balance is understanding the game that we're playing in the moment. And potentially using something like the ego, but that's a very, that's a very fine line to walk because it can start to turn around and it can start to use you very, very easily. And most people are completely used by it and they don't even know it. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're being run only by ego things. And I think that's where a lot of the burnout comes from because we can start a journey with something like just immense pain. A lot of athletes, especially the ones that just fricking go and they're hummingbirds and they can't seem to slow down to even think. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's because if they slow down to think and they have too much time with themselves, they're worried about what's going to come up. And, you know, that stuff is important to deal with, frankly. But I think looking at something like a clean burning fuel, which would be more of the spiritual side, right? And then there's the not so clean burning fuel, but we get quick energy from it. And mm -hmm. that's things around the ego, but it becomes caustic over time, right? right? You can't as an athlete only live on sugar, right? You it's might... like nitrous, like it, it gives yeah. you a boost, but if you, you do too much, it's going to blow your engine up. It's going to blow your engine up. Like at, stuff is, I don't know a lot about cars, but I remember in the first Fast and the Furious. I mean, that's all I, I that's about the extent of what I know. So I, my uncle races cars and that, that's about. He's like, you fried the piston rings because you used too much NOS, right? Yeah. And, and it's true. Being cognizant of the fuel that we're using. And it's fine if you just want a short burst thing and you're just going like, I just need to run this 5K real quick. That's fine, whatever. But if you want to have any type of an athletic life um, lifestyle type of a journey, we have to get a lot more thoughtful about how we structure that kind of thing and where we're coming from. One thing I wanted to ask you about, and it, it came from, so last week I was talking with uh, Sarah McMahon and we were talking about mental health and um, she, like uh, many athletes, particularly female athletes, um, went through an eating disorder, somewhat pushed on by some of her coaches who kind of like mm -hmm. focused on her and her teammates, like bodies and appearance. There's, you know, that maybe think about, you know, in part that ego motivation, like I look good or whatever, you know, um, along those lines, I'm thinking about, it seems like maybe I talk with mental, about mental health with women more often, or they stick out to me thinking about, uh, Vanessa raw, who was a uh, former pro triathlete for, uh, Great Britain. How, when I talked to her, a lot of her career was focused on, um, being injured and being pushed by our coaches. Some of it is a subset of the people that I get to talk to, um, but I'm sure there's a larger application. Like, it seems like these people, you know, the ones I get to talk to, so maybe you, it doesn't apply to you, the listener, but I would say it probably does since you're listening to this kind of podcast. They have enough motivation. Like you don't, it, it seems redundant 
to push people harder down this path of like work harder, push harder, go harder. When it's like, there's, Mm -hmm. they already have enough intrinsic motivation. Right. And it seems like when you have this kind of one dimensional mental approach to these people who already have the required intrinsic fuel that you often end up with burnout, injuries, eating disorders, like you end up with a whole slew. And, and that's not, to, I'm not for those listening, listen to Sarah's own words in her story. I'm not blaming her coaches um, for her situation. It's, it's more complex than that, but just you end up with something wrong because of like this overfueling of this situation. So I kind of feel like you need more coaches to like take a step back and focus on the rest side. So from a psychological perspective, how do we prevent burnout? Deal with like balance, which I think is tough because it's, it's easy, right? It's easy to focus on one more rep, just a little bit faster. What, you know, that's easy because that's what everybody does. How do you deal with the pie where do you go? It's time to rest and, and being comfortable in that environment, knowing that that may be the thing that actually helps you propel you forward? Great question. <clears throat> First thing I thought of was learning, learning to not only trust yourself, but listen to yourself as an athlete. There's just no way that you can ignore your intuition and not pay a price on the back end. The problem is when there's so many voices sometimes, and those can be our own voices, they can be the voices of coaches, they can be the collective voices of the people around us. We're worried about something, especially really high level athletes, sponsors, where are they gonna think, yada, 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 that we can, we, there can be so much static in the air that there's really no room for us to be able to listen to the most important kind of like small voice inside. Because it, most, most athletes, like they're, they, they're very freaking kinesthetic. Like that's the world that they, that they live in. They know what it feels. They know what it feels like when, to run a certain pace, mm-hmm. right? Like I know what it's like to swim a certain pace. Like I could have no clocks and just like, here, go swim. And based on just how I feel during that, I'm going to come in within a second, you know, on a hundred or two seconds on a 200, which is a pretty good guess with no mm-hmm. outside clock. So I think one thing is, obviously fostering awareness, but there's a broader picture of listening to and trusting intuition and being willing to speak up about it as well. Because we can be pushed to do unhealthy things by people even with great intentions, wonderful intentions that want nothing but the best for us. And we want so much to accomplish something. We're so driven. I really want this thing that you're exactly right. We don't need a ton of extra motivation as athletes. Like we came prepackaged with it. I learned that a long time ago when I was working training, like the general public, when I was doing personal training, I was at the same time working with the football team at CU as an intern with their strength and conditioning team. And I learned very early on because I was fresh out of high school. I really like working with athletes, not the general public. Now, what's interesting about the difference between the general public and athletes is how somebody I sort of sees themselves, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of people that are athletes and they just haven't owned it. And we chatted about this a little bit before we came on here, yeah. but it's like, just if you're an athlete and you 
take hold of that identity, that's going to change a lot of a lot of things in your life. And it's going to make a lot of decisions way easier than when you're hemming and hawing. You're like, I don't know, should I go today? Should I not go today? When you're an athlete, like you show up and you train and you don't, it's, I remember this poster uh, that I saw in a gym once. It was like, athletes don't um, diet and exercise. They eat and they train. Just simple things like that, that, that mentality shift affects everything. Um, <clears throat> so going back to what I went off on a rabbit trail here, I do think that um, we've got to, as athletes, recognize that people can be giving us great information, but the, at the end of the day, we have to find out how our internal system works, what makes our engine go. And when we're leaning and leading toward injury, we've got to be able to spot patterns We've got to be able to spot patterns. You can catch burnout early if you're paying attention. If it sneaks up on you, something is very, very wrong. Or maybe a lot of things is right, but you've tuned that voice out in your head because you know, I don't have time to slow down right now. I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got to go because you're looking at something that's three months from now and you're forgetting that by doing something right now that you know deep down is probably not the best idea, you might have an injury for the next five years. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a tough pill to swallow. So, is that is that a common issue that you deal with? Is trying to rein people back in, or or is it, is there a common issue that you deal with? That's a, that's a great question. One thing that I find endlessly fascinating is that most, most of us don't know truly why we're actually doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And maybe we do subconsciously, but it is not in our conscious awareness. And so we have all these reasons that like I'm training for the sport, why I want to reach my goal, et cetera. And we don't even really know what's going on behind it. And that's one reason things can get a little bit of out, of out of whack on the back end. Yes, I tend to deal with people that can certainly overdo it. Type A to the max, you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful thing to be that type A, have drive, have gas in the tank, like let's freaking go, man. And just be able to punch it like that. Those are my kind of freaking people, you know, it's like exciting for me to even think about it. However... <laughs> I am committed to my clients having a kick-ass life, right? I want that for them more than anything. And so helping them keep things in perspective, really truly know what, what is driving their behavior and staying connected to things that are most important to them and not losing sight because any of us, when we're too deep into something, when we're type A, when we're always go, 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 things can start to fall apart around us and we don't see it until it's too late. And it comes back to this common theme of then the, the marriage is in like shambles all of the sudden, or, you know, somebody's business completely falls apart or whatever the case might be, their interpersonal relationships, their relationship with themselves, with their like spirit, their respect for themselves that they lose because, um, you know, little compromises that they make along the way that they don't really think about until it starts to kick back around. And we have to look at human beings as what we are, much bigger system. We're a system. We're not a compartmentalized set of like, I can go in this room and I do this and I go in this room and do this over here. If you really want to have an incredible life, we have to look at all parts and recognize that 
one thing affects all of the others and you do not want to win that race to the detriment of your relationship with your children that never recovers from it and then you die of regret i mean seriously like find me a human being on earth that would trade a gold medal for their awesome relationship that they did have with their kids where they go i'm about to die but honestly i would take that gold medal over the incredible relationship i developed with my kids there's not that many people that would say that and if they would i would I would invite them to ask themselves why. I'm not making it wrong. It's just interesting mm -hmm. that we would put something way over value to very close, tight-knit relationships. So those are some things that I want people to be thinking about that I want to be thinking about as a coach because I, I think it's a responsibility. And sometimes it's hard because we get into that place where we too want the person to win so, so, so much that mm -hmm. we can get a narrow focus with them. And I think that the ability for us as coaches, we're much better coaches when we can keep some appropriate separation and not get sucked into a client's story and their situation so much that we don't serve them the best way possible because we're in it with them too. So um, I see that as a huge responsibility and a privilege for me um, with everybody I work with. What I think is interesting in maybe difficult, um, probably depends on the person and how much time they've spent with themselves and their thoughts and, you know, hard truths and whatever is, is diving into that, that deep motivation, right? Um, you know, I, I've tried a number of different, like, motivational styles over the years. I remember, my uh, freshman year of college, right before conference, my girlfriend had broke up with me and I was like heartbroken. And uh, one of the older guys who I ran with was like trying to like goad me about it and get me angry. And he was like, use that anger to run with. And I'm just like, anger is not fuel to run with. Like so maybe it is for some people, it isn't for me. And, and maybe that comes from my, like my martial arts background or just like, mm -hmm. you know, just that's not like, I would rather be the calm within the storm rather than the storm itself. <laughs> but just like, you know, like you said, do we know why, like why we do the things we do? I think for a long time, uh, if you, you know, don't mind me being personal here. Part of my motivation was like feeling like I was good enough that I could be loved and accepted. And I, you know, express that through achievement. I don't think that's necessarily a um, uncommon story either. Nope. Right. Super you, think, common. you think if you have, you know, you have the things, the accolades that, well, then people will like you. Well, that's no, not necessarily. And probably not because of those things either. I think what I come back to is that you know, we talked about my bag of whys or maybe my new pyramid of whys, if I can change my metaphor. The foundation of that, I think the healthiest foundation, I'm hoping maybe you could give me another one, is that it's, it's as simple as you enjoy yourself. And that's it. Like, you love doing it, so, so you do it. 
Absolutely, man. I think that is beautiful because you've got people out there. <clears throat> to me, they're actually pretty rare. The athletes that just freaking love what they do and love the process of it. Cause that's a completely different thing. Mm -hmm. Loving competition or loving winning and training and getting through the grit and the grind for that, because it makes it worth it is very different than loving the process itself mm -hmm. and just <clears throat> throwing every part of yourself into the exercise, into the sport, into the competition, the game, whatever, and being able to invest fully in something when there's that purity of intent and it's coming from a place of love, that is the most powerful of all. When you talked about using anger as fuel, because it's interesting, <clears throat> I think you're exactly right. It probably has to do with probably a number of things, but one of them being, you, as you said, background in martial arts. That's a, again, that's a very different mentality. Yeah. If you're angry, you're not in control. And that mm -hmm. is something that you train yourself out of. Interestingly, I have athletes that I work with where I'm like, hell yes, we are using that anger, but I have to make sure it's appropriate and it's in sync with their system mm -hmm. and, and it's used strategically <clears throat> and it's used in, for a season, not for a lifetime. Right. A lifetime of anger is really, really problematic. Being able to take something that is already an emotion, especially if it shows up on competition day and being able to engage and use that in a constructive fashion because I can't get rid of it in the moment, that's really powerful too. So everything has its place. Every emotion, every situation, everything that is said to you, everything that's not said to you, everything that's implied, the way that people look at you on competition day, when people are trying to F with you, whatever it is, you can use all of that. And that's beautiful when you know how to do it and you can flex and flow and you're not worried about when I show up, what's going to happen. And I hope this is the right way. And I hope that's the right way. It's like, dude, I'm going to make it right. That is, a, that is a totally different attitude to have. And so I think it's really useful to be able to use anything, but ultimately what you're pointing to is beautiful because when we love something, we're tapping into, to me, the biggest whys are things that are bigger than us as individuals. They're way, they're way bigger than us, right? I'm doing something, especially for people that may never... Um, like may never know me and I may never know them mm -hmm. to be able to have that kind of purity of intention. There's something really, really powerful about that. And, but you don't need, you know, somebody listening to this, you don't need to be at that place either. Right. I'm not giving this as necessarily advice of like, you need to figure this out and you need to follow again, this system. We're just pointing to different processes and things that athletes can use um, to power their efforts, but we're all in different seasons. We're in different phases. We have different backgrounds. We've picked up different mentalities along the way that all factor into the architecture mm -hmm. and then the ultimate infrastructure that we build to support what we're going toward. It, so in, in what I ever talk about mentality, you know, I can only, I can reference other conversations I've had, but obviously I can only speak from the life that I've lived. So I try my best to not make it, not make a projection on other people based on my values and experience, but there are some commonalities between our experiences. So the thing about anger, the, the reason 
I, you know, I, you said, you know, you're not in control to try to maybe further the metaphor or maybe make a little more complex metaphor is thinking about anger as anger, like uh, building a foundation on sand. And the, the reason I think of it that way is because I see anger as a secondary emotion. Like anger is not a primary emotion. Anger is the expression of an underlying emotion that we want to hide. So it could be fear or grief or anxiety, all kinds of different little, you know, really nuances of fear, fear of loss, fear of winning, um, you know, fear of change, whatever it is, and it gets expressed as anger. So the way I view it is like, if I'm angry, and the reason I'm angry is because I'm afraid that I'm not good enough, or I didn't put in enough training, or Joe Blow is faster than me. Well, then that fear is rooted in, in a different issue, right? It's rooted in the sense that like, I say, say for my personal example, I mentioned earlier, I feel like I have to win to be good enough. That's the issue that needs to be addressed. And the anger is the expression of that issue. Until you get down to it, like you're not laying that foundation to come from a place of control and to take, you know, take power of your entire potential because you're allowing your mind to be deterred and flow into this chain of, okay, I have to be, you know, I have to win to be good enough. And if I'm not, I'm afraid of that. And because I'm afraid I'm going to be angry. It's like, there's all this power working on, you know, these fear which you haven't addressed instead of addressing it and then taking that energy, that mental energy and putting it towards simply being and being present, mm -hmm. which ultimately, because you've addressed and then let go of that issue makes you more likely to achieve your goal. Yep. <clears throat> and one of the, one of the scariest things I think for people that want to take charge of their destiny, right. Is the relinquishment of control and us again, consciously or subconsciously, maybe not wanting to go a little bit deeper beneath, which I appreciate you bring up the personal example because it, it's personal, like it's very relatable. Um, and I think that it's also, as you mentioned, quite, quite common, that thought process, those fears, right, that then manifest as anger, and then we're using the anger, but people can definitely be freaked out. I'm, listen, I don't want to look into it. It's working for me right now. I'm getting results. Like, that's all yeah. I care. That's all I care about. Right. And that's the kind of thing that in the short term, we're talking about the like nitrous boost, but long term will completely fry your engine and you only get one. So it's really about like short versus like long-term thinking is, is, is one part of this and understanding, listen, there's a whole well of just whole other levels I haven't even reached yet, but I'm addicted to this fuel. And when you said, you know, a lot of times anger, it's not really anger. There's something else beneath it. And I think you're, I think you're very right on that. I think there's other times where people are just addicted to anger, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like, like pure and simple, right? There's both situations right. where they, they get the hit off of that. They get off on it for some reason and it's the adrenaline or they enjoy being wronged and they enjoy being pissed off. And 
um, they think it's helping them. And again, it's looking at like, what are we really after here? What are we after? Do I wanna burn that kind of caustic fuel in my system? Um, ultimately, I think going back to purity of intent as well, all paths where you really tap into being very, very like radically present and grounded, radically present and you're grounded and you truly, truly get into flow where it's almost just like that spiritual experience, right? It's like all paths lead back to love of what you're doing. And we can start an athletic journey with something like, you know what, I'm pissed off. So I'm going to take up this sport. I'm sick and tired of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I bet a lot of your listeners can relate to that. It doesn't start with the purity of intent. Right. Hairs, just freaking get going, get yeah. moving, get moving, get moving it, but then refine it over time. Because when you get to that place where you love what you're doing and you can find flow more often, find me a, an elite athlete on earth that doesn't want to be in flow more than they are they're mm -hmm. like it's just too much for me my performance can't handle any more flow <laughs> <laughs> so uh brian um as we're starting to wind down on time uh, there's a question i ask everybody each season i make a new question every season um this season's question i think is great for you especially because um i myself am bad at this and that's one of the reasons this, this question this year's question and I don't think enough of us do this. So I'm hoping you have a good answer, not to put too much pressure on you. But this year's you're question- me, You're making me nervous, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what, we're not what's even going, about to happen here? We're not even going too philosophical. <laughs> I, I've had philosophical, like season two's question was, what's, what's the purpose of sport? So I've made people go deep on that one. But wow. um, this year's question is, how do you celebrate your wins? That, uh, that's amazing question. I want to be thoughtful in my answer. How do I celebrate my personal wins? Sure. Or, or, or how do you, or how would you suggest, you know, on the other side too? So personally, how do you celebrate? And then since it's applicable, you know, how would you help people find a way, I guess, maybe to, to celebrate wins? I think the biggest piece, honestly, is acknowledging and allowing ourselves to celebrate, right? And like freaking little things along the way. Uh, we think by starving ourselves sometimes of uh, fulfillment and acknowledgement and victory, we think by starving ourselves, we'll get hungry enough that we'll want it even more. But, you know, if you've seen the, the film Pumping Iron, the documentary with Arnold Schwarzenegger mm -hmm. and Lou Ferrigno and all that, um, I think it was Lou or somebody, Lou Ferrigno was talking about how, you know, the problem is uh, you're at the top of the mountain, Arnold, you're at the top of the mountain. And so, um, you know, you're not hungry. And he goes, yeah, but I'm at the top of the mountain. And when I want the food, it's there. When he wants the food, it's there, right? So I think taking things in and having a system of celebration, honestly, where on a daily or weekly basis, especially for those of you who and us who are hard on ourselves, having an actual set scheduled system where it's systematized that you are going back and acknowledging victories. I think it's great on a daily basis, but if you're not doing it all at a weekly basis, or you just keep a running tally of, you know what, like today, that wasn't a huge deal, but um, I 
simple things, dude. Like you paid for somebody's latte behind you in line. And then you don't even acknowledge yourself for that. And because it goes unacknowledged, it's not reinforced. And so it's hard to develop a pattern of that type of generosity as an example. So what is acknowledged and what is rewarded perpetuates itself and like attracts like, and you get more and more of it. When we're beating up on ourselves all the time, all we get is more reasons to beat up on ourselves because we're not doing enough. And that is not a healthy space to be in, especially if you want sustainability, maybe for short-term stuff, know the game that you're playing. Celebrate yourself, your victories, and acknowledge yourself and put it in a system. I have, it's funny, like me personally, since part of it was a personal question, I have a planning session every Sunday. And one of the things that's in big, bold letters is celebrate your wins and celebrate your victories. And it's in big, bold letters. It's like highlighted. How many times do I almost, it, the only way it could be more obvious is if I had it in the flashing neon light. And yet, it's so easy to overlook because we're just thinking about the next thing and what do I need to do next? And what am I trying to do here? And we don't sit back and build that positive momentum for ourselves. So that would be my encouragement to people is just systematize your celebration. That's solid. And I, I like that because I like systems. Like I said, I'm a math guy. So give me systems and rules and equations and I'm happy. So um, I will have yep. to try to figure that out because I've got... Um, Can I say one thing real quick? Go for it. The beauty of everybody is that everybody has their own system and equations. Mm -hmm. Nobody has their own formula. And when you, like, when you watch, when I watch movies about math or you like, you know, Pi is a great movie as anybody is what I'm talking about, Darren Aronofsky, but then you have things like Goodwill Hunting and just watching the beauty of these equations. And it, it's actually kind of magical to look at because mm -hmm. it's almost like seeing nature, but distilled down into numbers and, and, and that type of thing. There's a beauty in that. And what's most beautiful is that everybody has their own ideal equation, but because we're evolving creatures, that equation should be shifting and changing. And that's the thing we're always trying to dial in. So anyway, just for what it's worth, I'm fascinated by math. I'm not good at it. My wife is a math major, <laughs> but I think there's beauty in it because there's beauty in nature and all that stuff is tied together. I, I just, the, the systemizing thing I think is good because then it's it becomes a part of your routine it's not something you have to kind of force yourself to do in, in the sense that like if you're already not good at celebrating your wins like i think there's a tendency that you might procrastinate in doing so so if it's already on the schedule and it's something you already review you know as a regular thing then it i think it becomes less likely that you ignore it so i think that's part of part of why i like that um Brian, if people want to get in touch with you, see what you're up to, um, check out what you're doing, all that kind of stuff, where can they find you? Um, I mean, if they want to contact me directly, they can just shoot me an email to my personal address, which is just brian at bergfordperformance.com. Um, if there's anything I can do to help, whatever people might need. Also, my website, which is bergfordperformance.com hopping on there making sure to get on my email list because um, they get 
free access to my app and it's got a bunch of courses built into it. It's like a learning lab. <laughs> There's a lot of free stuff in there and it's really good on mental training and some of these things that we're talking about today uh, to give people some different tools and things to pick and pull from. Again, it's not like customized one-on-one -on -one coaching. That's what coaching is for, but it, it, it's sort of a database where uh, people can really take hold of some stuff and just take little snippets here and there and it's available. So uh, that'd probably be the place to do it. Sounds good. Brian, thanks for hanging out with me today. Of course. Thank you, Jesse. I appreciate you and the work that you're doing, my friend. This has been this has been awesome, man. I had a good time. I hope you had a good time. I hope the listeners had a good time. I'm pumped. Uh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> I, I hope the listeners enjoyed it as well. So we will uh, see you next week with a, another guest. <laughs>